The story of Sarai and Abram, that's the names by which we know them when we first encounter them in the scriptures, is a picture of the staggering blessings that God can bring forth through the lives of ordinary people when they make themselves available to him. Biggest idea to absorb in this whole series. God wants to do extraordinary things through his people but they must make themselves available to him. He will not overrule their will. Uh, As we saw last week, the the transformation of the lives of Abram and Sarai began when they first started to root themselves more deeply in God by choosing to follow him, to truly follow him. And, And it's been in my own personal experience as a pastor and as a follower of Jesus myself that the most exciting part of life's journey begins at that point too. At that point where we choose to stop being just a fan of Jesus and become a follower of Jesus in very practical ways. When we really go where he tells us to go rather than just listening to, the, to talk of that. This is where the exciting part of the, the adventure of faith really, really begins. All along the journey of faith, we're going to face these moments, these critical defining moments where the the difference between going forward and getting stuck or actually turning back, as we saw last week, uh, lies in our willingness to, to, to live by one word, and that word is trust. Trust. That's the theme we're going to explore as we uh, dive into the scriptures today. I I love the fact that the Bible displays stories of real people. I think when I was just coming to faith myself, that was one of the surprising things for me, uh, was to discover that the stories the Bible tells aren't of these sort of perfectly preened, polished, finished creations, but of people on the way of people that uh, are partly there and in many ways not at all there with whom God is doing a a transformative work. And we see in the Bible uh, people struggling to follow God. Uh, We see people uh, having a hard time really trusting in God's promises, the way you and I have a hard time, honestly, sometimes following and trusting in God's promises. And Abram and Sarai were definitely people like that. Uh, Their journey was not even close to an unbroken series of faithful acts, uh, as we're going to see today. Uh, Their inconsistencies would have provided tons of material for the folks at SNL or the comedians of their day to to lampoon and make fun of, uh, because people that God uses are are often very imperfect people. In Genesis chapter 12, for example, God leads Abram from his home in Ur, and he leads them, he picks up his roots, and he he goes forth in the name of God towards the land of Canaan uh, in the west, and he gets to the land of Canaan, and then God sends him down into Egypt. He sends him down south into Egypt. And and when, when Abram is there in Egypt, he becomes afraid that the Egyptians are going to kill him. They're going to see how beautiful his wife Sarai is, and she is a lovely woman, and she will be stolen from him, and they will uh, cut his throat to do away with him. And so Abram tells Sarai, pretend you're my sister. 
Just pretend you're my sister. This was not a manly move, to be ruthlessly honest. In other words, I'm the head of the household, I'm the leader here, let me hide behind you, is effectively what Abram does here. Think of the dangers this now exposed Sarai to if she was regarded as an available sister. Uh, This was not Abram's finest moment of trusting God uh, to, to protect him and his family. A little later on in Genesis chapter 16, Abram and Sarai are both getting very, very tired of waiting for this child that God had promised to give to them. And so this time, it's, it's Sarai who comes up with a, a bright idea, a brilliant alternative in her mind. Abram, she says, why don't you just sleep with my slave girl, Hagar? Maybe that's how we can build a family. And from that distrust of the plan that God had laid out, from that unwillingness to wait on God's timing, came Ishmael, the father of the nation with which the Hebrew people would struggle for the next 5,000 years. And God loved the children and loves the children of Ishmael too. But it was this act of distrust or mistrust that leads now to a great complication of the life of the story of the children of Israel. Later on, God renews his promise. He keeps giving encouragement to Abraham or to Abram and to Sarai. He says, there's going to be a child, trust me, there's going to be a child with whom I'm going to form a very special kind of covenantal relationship that's going to have an incredible ripple effect all across history. And how much does the couple trust God to do what he's saying? The Bible says in Genesis 17 that Abram literally falls on his face laughing. He just, he just is taken apart by this thought. Are you kidding me, God? I'm a hundred years old. Sarah's pushing 90. I can't believe you anymore. I just don't trust you anymore. So here's the takeaway. It's hard to trust God sometimes. You're not, you're, not, you're not unusual if you find yourself sometimes struggling to trust him. How many of you do personally struggle? How many of you are right now, for one reason or another, struggling to trust the providence of God in your life? If you are like this, you're in excellent company because almost everybody through whom God does amazing things, at least through the stories and narratives we read about in the scriptures, is somebody who had this struggle at some point or another. In other words, doubting and wondering and second-guessing and arguing with God don't mark the end of our faith journey. They mark the places where we're learning We're learning to move forward with courage. Uh, Please please know this, which is why I think we need the, the second key principle for today, and that is that God grows us by actually testing our trust. One of God's principal ways of developing us as as his followers and as human beings is to purposely, deliberately, and cleverly test our trust at times. He presents us with challenges that are going to take us to the very limits of our faith, uh, to where we thought faith should go and go no further. And Abram's first major test, we read in the scriptures, was 
this terrible famine that had overcome his land and had sent him down to Egypt in the first place that put him and, and Sarai at risk for their lives in this place. It was an incredibly frightening time. God, God had taken him from this very comfortable place in Ur and sent him all the way out to Canaan and then down to Egypt. And it was a terrifying moment. It was hard. I mean, think how hard it would have been to keep trusting God to protect them and to and to. Um, provide for them uh, when they're enduring these hardships. But faith, it's important to understand, is not just a mindset. Faith is a spiritual muscle. Uh, when you strain it, you strengthen it. In fact, the only way to strengthen the muscle of faith is to strain it. And if you've ever gotten serious about lifting weights or competing in some endurance event or building the hand strength needed to be a musician uh, of some skill, then you get this. You know that muscles get stronger by being pushed to the edge of failure. In fact, they develop these tiny tears muscles do, which when they heal actually make the muscle stronger. I, I, try, I remember I was training for the marathon some years ago here in Chicago, and I would wake up sometimes so unbelievably sore I could barely get out of bed. And I tried to remember, it's making me stronger. And, and it was. It truly was. It, it used to mystify me when I looked at the story of, of Abram and Sarah, why God would keep them waiting so long. Do you realize that God makes the promise uh, that he's going to give them this special child. And, and 30 years go by. 30 years go by uh, before God delivers on the promise. And, and then I began to get it as I really thought about what was going on in this story. God wasn't ignoring Abram and Sarai. He was building them. He was purposely building them. If he'd granted the promise right away, if Christmas had come just like that, in a sense, uh, there would have been festivity, but not faith. There would have been a lot of celebration, but not a stronger kind of discipleship. And, and so God wants this couple to feel, really to feel, their total dependence upon him. I mean, before, they've had it easy. They've been able to depend on the wealth and the, and the, and the resources of Ur in the past, he wants them to really depend ultimately on him for their identity, their security, their success, their significance, their total need of his grace. He wants to stretch them, to strengthen them, because God had big plans for these, for this two, for these two. He wanted them to be more than just another couple in the neighborhood, if you get what I mean. He wanted them to become literally the mother and the father of nations. And so he had some work to do on them, to make them ready to bear that kind of responsibility and that kind of influence. Think about that for yourself. Maybe your own faith is being strained right now. Maybe you're, you're going through a famine of sorts in your own life. You're having a hard time in your finances. The job isn't going well. There isn't a job. You've got some real stresses going on in your marriage or your family life, maybe. Perhaps your health is being tested. Uh, 
Perhaps you're dealing with a season of barrenness. You're trying so hard, but what you're doing is not bearing the fruit, the results that you were longing for. Sometimes those difficult seasons are just part of life. Sometimes it's, this is just what it means to live in a, in a, in a fallen world. Uh, but, but every one of these seasons is an opportunity to trust God more, to trust in his power to redeem, his power to renew, his power to resurrect, to change, to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or imagine in that moment. It's a test in a sense. To paraphrase J.D. Griar, another pastor, sometimes God leads you through the valleys of shadow to show you he can provide for you there. Sometimes he lets you endure storms so that you'll discover that you're always okay, even if he appears to be asleep in the boat. He's going to calm the seas. You're going to make it through. Sometimes he allows you to experience conflict so that he can show you his ability to prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Faith is a spiritual muscle that only grows by being tested, or to switch metaphors, faith is the act of rooting ourselves more deeply in God when the winds are blowing hard. I was um, apprised this week of, a, of an insight shared by one of the members of our church family who was participating in one of our Take Root small groups. And uh, he describes this fascinating scientific discovery that was made at the University of Arizona's famous Ecolab Biosphere 2. Don't know if you've heard of Biosphere. But it's an amazing experimental environment. It's actually a sealed environment that is used to study how ecosystems work and how changes and improvements in the ecosystem can be used to promote greater flourishing. That's the purpose of biosphere. Well, at first, one of the things that the researchers were really excited about was that the trees that they were growing in the biosphere grew significantly faster and larger than trees out in the real world. They were so excited about this. To their dismay, however, they found that when their super trees, these super trees of theirs, grew to maturity, they would very often topple over. Why was this happening? They wanted to know. Why was this happening? What was missing in the biosphere that kept them from developing the kind of root system they needed to grow to their fullest potential. What do you think it was? Wind. There was no wind in the biosphere. Have you ever walked out in the woods and heard the tree trunks groaning as the wind pressed against them, bent them? Well, it turns out that the resistance that's created by wind triggers a tree to grow something called stress wood. And stress wood is what enables some of those trees you've seen in these marvelous photographs, these trees to grow up towards the sun, even when they're set at this like gravity-defying def angle. Have you ever seen those ones 
they're clinging to a bit of the earth or a cliffside, and somehow they're still growing up, they're still thriving. The stress that the wind places on a tree is ultimately what makes it, allows it to grow to its fullest potential. So if you are feeling the stress and the strain of life right now, if you're feeling like God has taken you to the very limits of your faith, if you're finding it really hard to trust, try to believe that just as with Abram and Sarai, God is not actually out to break you. He's trying to build you. The groaning is for growing. The groaning is for growing. I can promise you that over the course of this Take Root season, God is going to challenge some of you in ways that will be a real test. He's going to challenge you to take some of that seed that he has put in your hands and your household, in your stored up barns, and he's going to ask you to put it at his disposal, to be like that sower statue see outside and to scatter that seed in a way that will plant trees under whose shade you may never sit, but will be an awesome force of blessing in this world. God is going to call you to plant your roots deeply in him maybe deeper than you've ever, ever gone before, and it's going to test you to do that. But can you dare to trust that God will both take care of you during this season and actually strengthen you? If you do, God is going to bring about a more flourishing life for you and for thousands of other people through you, if you'll dare to trust him. You know, one of the biggest reasons that we can even dare to do this sort of stuff, this trust stuff, is, is because of the lengths that God will actually go on our behalf. And in other words, we can trust God because of his commitment to us. We can make commitments for God because of the commitment that he has to us. In Genesis chapter 15, uh, the core of the story for today, we find Abram doubting again. Surprise. Uh, Sovereign Lord, he says, what can you give me <laughs> since I remain childless? I mean, give me something here, Lord. <laughs> and nothing's happening on this whole promise thing. You know, I'm, I'm growing discouraged. What can you give me and Sarai just to keep us going on? And God effectively says, trust me. Trust me. And, and he says, look up at the sky and, and count the stars if indeed you can count them, says God. And then he says to Abram and to Sarai, so shall your offspring be. They were just looking for one child. Milky Way. Milky Way family. So shall your offspring be. And the Bible says, Abram believed the Lord. He put his hope, his trust again deeply in the Lord. 
and he credited to him as righteousness. God credited it to him as righteousness. You know, let me say parenthetically that sometimes people ask pastors, I don't get this Old Testament, New Testament thing. How is it that people in the Old Testament get saved when Jesus hasn't come? Well, this is your answer. This is your answer. Uh, You and I are saved by looking back and putting our faith in the perfect righteous work of Jesus Christ upon the cross on our behalf. His work, Jesus' work, gets credited to our moral account as righteousness. At the moment when God is making a decision about us and he looks at our moral account, he sees Jesus' balance is what the scriptures teach us. Abram is saved exactly the same way. Only he looks forward to the life-giving work that God is going to do in the future, though he doesn't even understand. He doesn't even yet know the name of Jesus. But he looks forward to, to, to the fulfillment of God's plan, which is going to come through the offspring. Jesus will be born through those offspring, the ultimate sacrifice, and God credits that faith to him as righteousness. The big idea is the only way any of us are saved is by putting our trust in God's righteousness and not our own. God also says to Abraham here, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. Again, Abram struggles to trust here. So he asks, Sovereign Lord, how can I know? God, give me some more reason to trust you. How can I know that I will gain possession of this land that you're taking me to? So God instructs Abram to do what seems here in chapter 15, a really bizarre thing. He has him cut a bunch of animals and birds in half. And and then he has him arrange these halves, he separates these halves of the animals uh, apart from each other with this lane down the middle. And, and, and and, And then he just waits. Now, this is very, very odd to us in the modern world, but in the ancient times, this was part of the ritual for making a covenant. In in the the days before LegalZoom.com, and you were trying to make a covenant, this was the way that it was done. You were trying to seal a contract with somebody, you you would both make a sacrifice. You would bring your, your animals, your pigeons, whatever it was that you had, and you'd bring it together, and you would sacrifice the animals. You would cut them in half. It'd be your way of saying, we're serious about this. And you'd separate them into two halves like this with a lane down the middle, and then both of you, side by side, would walk down the lane. You'd get blood on your robes, usually. And it was a symbol. It was a rite of passage. It was like a fraternity hazing exercise in a sense. What you were saying in effect was, may I be sacrificed? May I come to terrible, disastrous result like these animals if I don't keep up my end of the bargain? In fact, the word covenant came from the root word to cut. To cut. You've seen people do blood covenants where they cut their finger, and this is the same idea. 
I'm really glad somebody invented pen and paper and legal settlements. It, it seems a lot cleaner. In ancient times, covenants were always made at sundown. And, and here we're told that as the sun was setting, I'm quoting the scriptures again, Abram fell into a deep sleep. And in his dream, he sees a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch. And these two items are passing down the lane between the cut halves of the sacrifice. Now, this is really striking imagery because these, the, the, the smoking uh, fire pot and the blazing torch are the images that we see on Mount Sinai representing the holy presence of God himself. Very significant imagery here. The question is, where is Abram in this vision? A covenant is being made. Somebody's passing down the lane. It isn't Abram. He's nowhere in the picture. The vision gets even more amazing when you understand that in the ancient world, if a king was making a covenant, he didn't walk. If a king was making a covenant with a lesser person, say a mere servant, the king would sit on the sidelines as the, the mere servant did the, the, did the blood walk. But it was taken for granted that the king was good for his promises or it was beneath his dignity to get any kind of blood on his robe. This is the only covenant ever recorded in the scriptures in which the king gets bloody and the servant doesn't walk. In fact, it's the only covenant recorded in human history that ever worked that way. God is saying, pay attention to this, this is big. God is saying, if I don't keep my end of the promise, I will pay the price. And if you don't keep up your end of the covenant, I will pay the price. I will pay the price. Does this remind you of any other king. This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Like Abram and Sarah, all of us fall short of doing our part when it comes to righteousness. That's the truth, ain't it? It's the truth for me. We stumble and fall in our family life. Uh, we are very inconsistent in the practice of our, our service life. Uh, we stumble and falter in our relationship with God and his kingdom. We lie, we lust, we cheat, we deny, we envy. The list goes on and on and on, but his love never fails. He never falters in his commitment to us. He never gives up. He pays whatever price it takes to keep reaching out to redeem his creation. Abram wasn't called righteous because he never messed up. He was called righteous because he kept trusting in God. And God gives a lot of credit to those who trust in him. The book of Proverbs says the righteous person falls and fails seven times, which is, which is the Bible speak for a ton of times. 
The righteous person falls and fails seven times and rises again. Maybe you've fallen, failed, faltered lots and lots of times. But here's the good news. If you trust in him, he says, I've got you covered. You can rise. You root yourself more deeply in me, and I will still use you more than you could ask or imagine as a power, a force for blessing. So let me summarize as we move to a close. It's hard to trust God. Raise your hand if you have experienced that. It is hard to trust God, especially in tough times when we're really being stretched and strained. But these tests, secondly, are what grow us. This is discipleship. This is the moment of opportunity when we're tested. And we can thirdly dare to trust God because of his demonstrated commitment to us, because of his willingness to even shed blood on our behalf. But all of this is in service to the one final truth that I want to leave with you today, and that is simply this. God multiplies the influence of those who trust him. He multiplies their influence. Having risen up and trusted God over so many, many years, Abram and Sarai have shown incredibly deep faith. Not perfect faith, but deep faith over time. And like the master in the parable of the talents, God now says to his servants, in effect, you've been faithful with little, so I'm going to entrust you with even more. With even more. No longer will you be called Abram, he says. And and the word Abram literally means dad. No longer will you be called dad. Your name will be Abraham, which in modern translation would be Globo Dad. Global Dad. Father of many nations. I have made you now a father of many nations. Remember, it was just going to be one kid, then it was going to be many offspring. Now it's many nations will arise from the lineage of Abraham and Sarah. And God renames both of them now. Uh, Abram, Abraham, Sarah, or Sarai, Sarah. And the change is rendered by adding just one letter to their names. It's the Hebrew letter H. It's the sound someone makes when they breathe. (sighs) That's the sound. The Hebrew word for breath is ruach. It's the same word that means spirit. It's the same word that means wind. In an act reminiscent of the day that God breathed into the dust and made humanity, God now breathes the power for flourishing into Abraham and Sarah's life. And right after this renaming, Sarah discovers she's pregnant with a child. And through this child, the nation of Israel would branch out and Jesus would one day come and the church would spring forth and extend its branches and you and I would find shade there. All of us, I'm guessing, need God to breathe into us.
the power for flourishing. Maybe a key relationship's in trouble. Maybe your self-confidence is shattered. Maybe your career is stuck. Maybe your health is suffering. Maybe your life at school is a struggle. Maybe you're worried deeply about one of your kids. Maybe you're just tired and uncertain. I get that. I've been there. This is exactly the time to trust him. To root yourself more deeply in him than you've ever done. Make serving God a bigger priority in your life in the season ahead. Devote something of your time and your talent to advancing his purposes. Share with somebody else the story of what God has done in your life. Tell them if God has ever added an H to your name. Trust him. And let me say in closing, that commitment card that we've given everybody, it's one of the most life-giving Uh, presence that your church, that our church has ever given to any of us because it's a trust tool. It's an opportunity to discover God's faithfulness, to participate in a whole new level of flourishing that he wants to bring to us and through us towards others' lives. And what each one of us does in the days ahead with that particular little tool, that little card, it's a sacred act. It's a big thing. It's a a huge step forward in our faith. It's one of the most significant seeds that we're ever going to sow in this world. Let's remember the amazing growth, the staggering harvest that can happen when someone truly trusts God with who they are and what they have, as Abram and Sarai once did.